Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Football Social Daily, keeping you up to date with the latest from the English top flight. Hello, this is Football Social Daily, back once again like the renegade master. And another daily podcast, dropping the latest news, views and opinions into your podcasting inbox. Everything Premier League being covered off on today's show. Make sure you check out yesterday's podcast, by the way, in the wake of the weekend. Jay Motti and Ant McGinley. United and City fans, respectively, looking back at a phenomenal Manchester derby and all the other weekend's footballing action as well. But today we are looking ahead into the final game of the Premier League weekend. It's been dubbed El Sacico, which I quite like. Uh, It's Foxes (laughs) versus Forest, the two bottom of the table teams in the Premier League. And it's looking dangerously like a relegation six-pointer already. We'll get stuck into that shortly. We're also going to be looking at who could be stepping into Bruno Large's not-so-large shoes at Wolverhampton Wanderers after the Portuguese were sacked at the weekend following their really disappointing performance against West Ham. I'm Jim and I've got Marley and Niall to do all that on the podcast today. Hello, gents. Good morning. Good morning. These two boys are getting excited at the moment. Tomorrow they fly off to... Stressed, is it? (laughs) Yeah, very much Fly off to Pula in the Czech Republic to record... So I keep on saying Czech Republic, <laughs> don't I? Good job yeah. I'm not going. <laughs> end up in completely the wrong place. You'd end up with the wrong currency. Yeah, exactly. The wrong Can I have a star of Pramen, please? <laughs> They're recording the latest episode of All You Need Is A Ball, our new podcast about the world of football freestyle. If you like a bit of freestyle, check it out. It's well worth a listen. And you can check out how the boys get on in... Croatia. Croatia. (laughs) In a couple of weeks' time. But anyway, on to the matters at hand for today's podcast, because we're kicking off the show, as always, on a Monday with a get in the sea, a chance to have a bit of a whinge on a Monday, clear the air ahead of the week and kick something to the curb that's annoyed you from the past few days of footballing action. Niall, you can go first and have a bit of a whinge about the weekend. What are you going to whinge about? Well, is it going all the way to Ipswich? I'm seeing your team go three three two. Well, I could could put Ipswich in the sea. Yeah, 
Um, but no, is, it? no, it's almost it almost is in the sea. Yeah, I met a guy actually in Ipswich who was surveying the seabed or the riverbed of the Thames estuary, which goes through Ipswich. Um, and it wasn't the most exciting conversation I had that weekend. <laughs> but um, anyway, moving on. Um, what I'm going to put in the sea is uh, this may be a little controversial, but I think it needs to go in because I think people are getting far too ahead of themselves with the phenomenon that is Erling Haaland. What a player, mm. what a performance, another hat-trick yesterday, and what's more, doing it in a Manchester derby. That's now eight games to reach three Premier League hat-tricks. Michael Owen, it took him 48 games mm. to reach three Premier League hat-tricks. First ever player to go three in a row as well, three hat-tricks on back-to-back games. In Premier League home games, I think, oh, yeah. So, I mean, it's re- it's remarkable what he's achieving at the moment. He's 22 he is seemingly unstoppable at times and I'm bigging him up like this because I think that there is an element of the narrative around Erling Haaland and how good he is that needs to absolutely get in the sea and pretty quickly. Someone on radio yesterday said they think that Haaland is the best striker they've ever seen. Someone on national TV yesterday on Match of the Day said that Erling Haaland is the third best striker of all time. The lad's 22 he is doing unbelievable things and he could possibly be mm. the best striker of all time, but he isn't yet. So let's just put a lid on it for a second and wait and see what he does. He's still not really won anything, has he? And I think to be classed as one of the greats, you have to win something. You have to win a Champions League or a Premier League or a La Liga or something along those lines. Listen, this lad is unbelievable and I'm not denigrating his quality or his ability or his potential. There is no doubt that he could become the best striker ever. That is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is people that are already jumping the gun and saying that he is the best striker ever. I think that's a little bit too far and a little bit too much too soon. I think that needs to get in the bin because remember Luis Adriano was an unbelievable player for Inter Milan. He was dubbed the next sort of R9, if you will. Incredible player. And I remember at the time, when I was much younger, people saying that this guy is going to be the next big thing. He was absolutely incredible. And then what happened to him? He kind of faded away. Mm. That probably won't happen to Erling Haaland, but this is a funny game and a funny sport. And we've seen players come and go and be absolutely phenomenal for a short period of time and then not really reproduce that form again. That is probably not going to happen with Erling Haaland. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that... If you're already sat there saying he's the best of all time, then you haven't watched much football. (laughs) Because I was speaking to someone about this yesterday. I watched the derby. I thought him, uh, Phil Foden, Jack Grealish were all exceptional. I thought that Manchester United, although they were poor, that isn't the worst I've seen them play this season. City were just on another planet. They were unbelievably good. So I think that needs to be taken into consideration. But all of Erling Haaland's goals have been pretty much inside the six-yard box or inside the penalty area. Mm. And Brazilian Ronaldo scored a hat-trick at Old Trafford in the Champions League for Real Madrid sort of 20 years ago, where he scored one or two from outside the box that he completely smashed into the top corner. There was another one that was a tap-in. And I remember he got a standing ovation when he left Old Trafford um, after they beat Manchester United and he scored a hat-trick. Haaland isn't like Brazilian Ronaldo. He doesn't score goals like that. He scores like sort of tap-ins and he's a poacher's player. But it's difficult so, to compare the two, isn't it? It's difficult oh, it's, to compare. Oh, it's absolutely difficult to compare the two. But he's almost like he's got Jedi instincts, Harland. Oh, he seems to know exactly amazing, where Jim. to be at all he's times. He's an amazing player and that's just not in the question. What is in the question for me is 
some of the things that have been said this weekend off the back of yet another unbelievable performance that he's the best striker that we've ever seen in the Premier League and he's one of the best to do it ever. It's like the lad could, without sounding morbid, he could, you know, break his mm. leg in the next game and never be the same player again. It is fair you know, to it, say it, that he's it, the it's best too now, soon. though, isn't Oh, it? he's brilliant, Jim. He's absolutely fantastic. He's been so good for City. The records are unbelievable. Mm. You know, we were talking just before we came into the studio that, you know, if he continues at his current rate, he's going to score over 100 goals. You know, it's, it's remarkable what he's doing. But he... The sky's the limit. He could be the best ever, but he's only played nine games in the Premier League or eight games or whatever. So let's just calm down for now and let's just see where we're at come the other side of the World Cup. The potential is there, but maybe he's not Absolutely, the potential's there, but it's got to get in the bin for me. It happens so much in football. It happens so much in football where people go, this guy's the best or, Mm. you know, this guy's level's above. And it's like, I don't know whether that's disrespectful to the players that have come before and the game has improved over the years. There's no question about it, but I just think the hype is a little bit is a little bit too much in general. Not not about Erling, but just in general about footballers now. I don't know that that's the social media age that kind of emphasises everything, but for me, it just feels like in this day and age in football, players will do something and everyone will go, "He's the goat. He's the best ever. He's yeah, the yeah. this. He's the that." Just give them time. Football's a funny game and it can come back to bite you. But he's incredible. He's doing incredible things. Is he the best ever? No. Could he be? Yes. Okay. Harland hype machine in the sea on a Monday. I'm going to do mine next because mine's kind of connected in a roundabout way because it is coming off the back of City versus United at the weekend, the Manchester derby, where City were absolutely dominant. And what I'm actually going to put in the sea is people sniping at City because they don't really have any other comebacks against them at the moment. It just kind of reeks of being bad losers. I saw it all over the weekend about Man City. Oil cheats, boring possession football. Can't fill a stadium even for a derby. It was all the normal stuff and it gets a little bit boring. And I do understand that if you're a United fan, if you're a Liverpool fan, you're hurting at the moment because you look at that Man City team and you can't see a potential way back in. You can't see how they're going to drop off and you can regain dominance again. But I think you've just got to hold your hands up and look at Man City and go, they're phenomenal. They were phenomenal last season. So I don't know what they are this season. They're kind of a level above... Phenomenal. And they do seem unstoppable. Got to remember, they're not quite top of the Premier League yet. Arsenal are still above them, which seems weird, That's the doesn't most it? Thing <laughs> but, the fact that they're this good and they're still not actually top of the yeah, league. Exactly. Yet, but I think there's crazy. no doubt they will be. They're going to wing the Premier League. And as they're a not top of the league because of Newcastle. <laughs> fair, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Taking two points off them. What I would say, though, is with all the sniping and the jealousy and the kind of negativity around the club, and I think that's what it is, no matter what you think about it, I think it is an element of, oh, they're better than us and we can't really compete at this level you've got to remember that there is a glimmer of hope because this does happen all the time you get one team who seem absolutely dominant and it was Liverpool in the 80s it was Manchester United in the 90s it was Chelsea when Abramovich came along and just washed cash all over the place it's kind of like they feel like they're dominant and they're going to be Mm. dominant forever but it changes something alters something flips and they do fade away eventually. And that will happen to Manchester City. Do you know what it we will be? We might have to wait a while. It'll be when Pep Guardiola leaves and yeah. Kevin De Bruyne is 35, which will come at the same time. They'll yeah. both leave. And then what the hell does City do then? And they'll be able to replace Pep because they're a machine now and they'll be able to replace him with any manager they want. But will they be able to replace him at the same level of performance, mm. at the same level of consistency? It's kind of that generational talent that's in that squad at the moment that they won't always have. And there will be competition for that generational talent 
by the time though that moment you describe comes from the likes of Newcastle United yeah. who have suddenly got that money and can compete in that space. And also when Sir Alex Ferguson left Manchester United, everyone knows he was kind of the controlling overarching figure in the club. Mm. So when he left, there were a lot of people that worked under Ferguson that stayed at the club. So then when a new manager comes in and tries to put his own stamp and his own ideas on things, you've then got a conflict with the people that used to do it in a certain way and have been doing it that way for 10, 15, 20 years. And then you kind of have to sort of eke all of that out and then build a method again from scratch. And as we've seen from other clubs in the Premier League, it takes a long time for that to happen. I'm not saying that will happen at City. Um, maybe they want someone to come in and just be a coach, exactly like you know we were spoken about Watford recently. They just have a model and they just want coaches to come in and adhere to their model. And if they don't perform well, they're out. Mm. Maybe that's the kind of way to way to do it. I don't know, but you're right. I just think that you know when De Bruyne reaches his mid thirties and Pep Guardiola decides times times up, um, then yeah, that will be a massive massive moment for Man City I just don't like it I don't like the sour grapes feeling of it like people calling them oil cheats and that they shouldn't have the money or the riches they do have because like you kind of got to get over it to a certain extent because that's the world of football we live in and either you accept it or you go and watch a different sport like we've said loads of times that horse bolted years ago didn't it so yeah so there we go it was Liverpool fans get me with it it's like oh oil oil club it's like Mm. oh you've signed the world's most expensive centre-back and the world's most expensive goalkeeper and you've got the best right-back in the world you can't <laughs> defend and you've got 70 million Nunes and you've got the world's best player in Salah. You still can't compete. You can't mm. so claim poverty sudden, in that scenario, can you? Yeah, well, they but, come back with the last net spend season, argument, don't they, the Liverpool yeah, fans? But then last season, oh, well, you know, we're, we're going toe-to-toe with them and, you know, they're, they're no better than us and they only won this and, you know, they didn't win the Champions League again so they're failures and then this year they're, they're like what five or six points off the pace already hmm. um and it's like oh oil and it's you, like that's like the bottom argument everyone's got oil do you harbor any sort of hostility towards man united for when newcastle were kind of competing and then they did you out of an fa cup or a couple of fa cups and the league and stuff <laughs> because I, I just think as a liverpool supporter if i was I'd be a bit annoyed at Man City because I've watched an amazing Liverpool team mm. who didn't win the league title for 30 years. Yeah. You know, you're kind of harping back for those days of the 70s and mid-80s, like you say, Jim. And then you come up against Man City who have just won everything. You know, Liverpool have won a couple of trophies. They've won a Champions League, for goodness sake, and a league title. But compared to what they could have won if Man City weren't there, mm. I mean, that must be annoying for Liverpool fans. Yeah. So I can understand why they have a little pop at Man City. But do it on mm. footballing. Do it on footballing terms. Be upset because oh, I don't know because you could have got been l- Brighton at home. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Because the grass was too long or whatever the excuse that Jurgen Klopp started to come up with this weekend it's, was. It, it's so frustrating though. It's like um, I don't know. I can't think of any. Uh, for instance, when Tiger Woods was dominating golf, like players like Phil Mickelson and other golfers, who must have just thought, "How do we win? Mm. How do we win?" That's that's you know kind of exasperating and deflating. But, but invariably, with that kind of scenario, with City maybe to a certain extent, and certainly with Tiger Woods, that kind of level of excellence raises the bar and it drives the sport forward. Yeah, it's it's in it's the true. long term, it's good. Yeah, it's mm. always good. You know, like sports that have five or six at the top, sort of beating each other, they don't grow as quickly as one guy is way better than the other. Like if if like you see Federer. In tennis, Federer was just better than everyone else. Mm. It made Nadal work like an absolute beast to mm. get even close to him. It made Nadal, Nadal had his clear game, his, which he couldn't compete with. 
Um, but his hard court game and his grass game was nowhere near it. So, but because Federer was so good, Nadal had to get good, and they were battering Djokovic in, in his early career. So that made Djokovic like, mm. I'm going to win nothing in my career if if I don't get as good as these two. And then he's won as many grand. I think they've won 22, 21, and twenty Grand Slams each. So like, the, there's one Grand Slam between them, and Djokovic could then overtake them when Federer's just obviously retired, um, and Djokovic is still still going in. He's sl- the slightly younger of the three. And then you've got them three, and then you've got the next generation coming through, and we've got a 19-year-old world number one in in tennis now with Carlos Alcaraz, and he's had to work so hard from from being a kid because the the level is so high, but it takes years to sort of manifest itself. But in the long run, this is probably good for football because that, that's the level everyone's got to get to. So that's what I'm putting in the sea anyway. Whinging football fans complaining about Man City for non-footballing reasons. Finish us off, Marley. What are you throwing in the sea? Well, mine, mine also comes from from the derby, uh, the the Manchester derby that is, and it's it's a little bit trivial, but for me it's it's annoying because it's Phil Foden, and it's not anything he did on the pitch because obviously it's absolutely mint. Is it that little line in his eyebrow? Because <laughs> that could get in the season. No, I, I like that. I think it makes him look like a little uh, little chav. I quite like it. <laughs> makes him real. Um, yeah, the fact that he's 22 and he's still got a little line, it's just <laughs> funny. Um, no, it's it's his, um, it's social media and footballers, and it's, it's what he tweeted and put on Instagram. Um, so I'll read it out. It's 17 hours ago, so it was 20 past five yesterday. Uh, so grateful to have got my first hat-trick for City and in the derby too, exclamation mark. Wow, what a feeling. Manchester is blue. He's a lifelong Man City fan. That mm. is nowhere near as partisan and as edgy as it should be. If you're a Man City fan for lifelong, you were 11 years old when um, uh, I think it was the, the, the 6-1 game at City when City beat United 6-1 mm-hmm. at Old Trafford and Aguero scored that hat- hat-trick I think um, you know he's he's City through and through he, he like in, as the cliche goes he bleeds blue so to have this social media company go I know this is great this is a great little caption I mean and in the derby too wow what a feeling it's so weak <laughs> like my when, it's when, written by a social media manager, isn't it? Exactly. That's the problem. It's not written by a person. Exactly. Well, but your social, social media, media managers are people too. But you know what I mean? <laughs> I am one. And I would never put anything so weak. It's so. You've missed such a a big like opportunity there just to to boil some piss. It'd be great. Like you've, That's what it's all That's what derbies <laughs> are all about. He's never going to go and play for Man United. You've got to take that like chance. Like Just tweet a blue square. And put Manchester is, and then mm. you've got the blue square there because that that do way more like interactions, way way more um, sort of impact. And uh, wow, what a feeling! Like he's he's not saying that. Like he's he's a guy who will probably cross the line and make a little bit little mistakes a little bit um, with stuff. But with a, a social media company on the back of it, a management company. By the way, it's the easiest job in the world uh, to be a social media manager for a footballer. Uh, and Jim, it is the one job I would leave here for to be uh, to be a footballer's three. Oh, missed out on three points this week, lads. Go again next week. Clapping hands emoji. That's me done for the weekend. If you're listening, Foden, you've, this is your job application right this here. This is my job application. Yeah. So it's just it's so weak. It should be more like my my mates were. Um, there's a group chat 
Um, and one of my mates put, have you seen what Foden's put on uh, on social media? And that like raised my attention to it. <laughs> and he put, it's um, it's put me on, uh, it's made the um, made the game go for me. He said, imagine being a lifelong fan, scoring a hat-trick in the derby and then having to put out a caption like this on your socials. Mm-hmm. And then he put, what I'd put is, have that, you red. Manchester is blue. <laughs> like that's what it should have been. It's yeah. just you're not going to get in trouble for it. I, I take your point, and I think there is a certain movement towards more personality from football. It's happening slowly, and Peter Crouch has called this out for years since he yeah. retired. He's talked about how fake and phony Premier League footballers are, or footballers yeah. in general yeah. are on social media. But I think there is a movement towards. There's less caution than there maybe was a few years ago, but still, players are. Are concerned about upsetting owners, sponsors, sponsors and, yeah. managers, all that kind of thing. So you can understand, but yeah, a little yeah. bit saccharine potentially from Phil Foden there. Yeah, but even with like a sponsor, like sponsor, it it would a brand should sponsor you for your personality, mm-hmm. not because you play for Man City or, or something like that. You know, you wouldn't. You know, if let's say Phil Foden gets a a deal with a mattress partner or something like that and he's like oh come to dreams I've got a great pillow and it helps me sleep on a match day everyone's gonna go boring whereas if like he it's for the numbers though isn't it that's why companies sponsor footballers for the the followers it is but when you put out a forced post this is my biggest issue with, with brands and social media when you put out a forced post like that it sticks out like a sore thumb. It does. So you have to make it as natural as possible. And you can't, it, it's almost impossible to do unless you've got like personality. Yeah. Like, like, like Mourinho, like brand... for example, at the weekend, his social media was brilliant. Did you yeah. see him outside With... the ground in the bus and stuff? Like, yeah. That's personality that people want to see in football, isn't it? You want to see that yeah. sort of side of it. Yeah. It's all going that way. But yeah, for, that's just, it just summed up at the tip of the iceberg for me. It's, uh, it's really annoying. It, part of that is the fact that Josie Mourinho has earned that reputation and earned the ability to have that personality and that's been yeah. it wouldn't have been doing it at the start of his career whereas Phil Foden is still stubbornness. right at the beginning of that but we'll move on from Marley's social media masterclass and <laughs> we'll move on to more football related topics that's everything in the sea for now we're going to talk in a bit about Leicester City versus Forest the bottom of the table clash that is the last game of the Premier League weekend we'll get onto that shortly but next we're going to talk about Bruno Large's exit from Wolves Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily. We're talking about sackings next. There's been about 25 managers sacked today but only one in the Premier League that has departed. Don't it, say that, Jim. What? We're talking about sackings next and Marley and Niall, <laughs> <laughs> you're out of it. See you later. <laughs> Thought I'd do it this way. It seemed appropriate. Uh, yeah, Bruno Large has left Wolverhampton Wanderers or rather been sacked by Wolverhampton Wanderers, followed their 2-0 loss to West Ham at the weekend. It was a terrible performance from Wolves and they are firmly in the relegation zone now. Six points from eight games, just three goals scored as well, which is potentially the real worry. Wolves. So they've departed with Bruno Large. We don't know who's going to come in next yet. But why do you think this decision has been made, Niall? Because a lot of people have been saying, oh, you should hang on till the World Cup. That's when you should change a manager if you're going to change it, when there's that big break. But Wolves have pulled the trigger early here. Is it down to the lack of goals? Is it down to the style of play? Is it down to the league position? 
all three. to West Ham. It's down to all three. <laughs> it, yeah. yeah, it is <laughs> down to all three. Nail. That game was massive, by the way. West Ham against mm. Wolves, absolutely huge. I listened to it on the radio, and it sounded like West Ham were probably decent value for the win. Skamaka's um, first goal was a piece of brilliance. Yeah, word you're looking it was not for. deflected. It was it a was. great goal. It was a great <laughs> goal. Deflected. It was a really good goal. I'm going to watch it back. All right. <laughs> but, I'll watch but, it back afterwards. But, but anyway. listen, when you go into a game like that, sometimes you just need a moment like that, whether mm. it's deflected or not. You, you need a goal like that to kind of pick you up. And West Ham, in a slightly empty London stadium because of the travel problems in mm. London, no one was really able to get to the ground, um, had something to cheer at home and a bit of pressure relief for David Moyes. But it did feel like two massive, um, you know, two managers under massive pressure. That's mm. what it felt like. And unfortunately for Bruno Large, his, his time is up. And am I surprised at this? No, not really. Wolves are in the relegation zone. They've got six points. They've lost to a, a team who are fighting down there with them at the weekend. You say there's a lack of goals. There is. Um, they've got, you know, negative six goal difference at the moment. So, you know, only Bournemouth, Forest and Leicester and Forrest and Leicester are the two teams below them in the table, have a worse goal difference, and Bournemouth conceded nine to Liverpool, so there's the anomaly there, and they're mid-table. So, you know, they've got a terrible record of scoring goals and, you know, have been conceding this season as well. Um, the football is negative, it's boring, they're a tough watch, and if we go by the Manchester derby yesterday, what people want to see is goals, and they mm. want to see entertainment, and I think Wolverhampton Wanderers fans want the same thing as well. They wouldn't have expected to have been in a relegation fight. Um, and I don't think they are just yet. It's probably too early to say. But, uh, you know, I'm not surprised that Bruno Large has, has been given the axe, to be honest. I just think it is a combination of all the things that you say. And, you know, they, they all want, with the players they've got, to be playing a, a nicer brand of football. I just think strange things have happened at Wolves, you know, with, um, you know, obviously signing Diego Costa. They didn't really have much other choice when... Uh, Kaladzic got got injured and Jimenez has not been as good as he once was. Well, he's been suffering with injury a little bit. He yeah, got I mean, but, but even he? loaning Connor Cody to Everton, someone who basically doesn't miss a game for Wolves, and then in the summer they go, "All right, Connor, you can leave and go to Everton." I don't, I don't get it. Well, the argument there was that Connor Cody was surplus to requirements because Bruno Large didn't want to play a back three; he wanted to play four at the back. Connor Cody and can play in a back four; he's good enough to do but, that. But, but then. Bruno Lodge played a black back three at the weekend. <laughs> it's like it, just, it, it feels like it's a mismanaged scenario at Wolves. And you look at where they were, Marley. I mean, this was a team that not that long ago were considered to be the potential team to break into the top Best six. Best of the rest, type yeah, thing, exactly. Yeah. And it's just fallen apart. Yeah, but so are Leicester in their bottom of the table. Yeah, very true. Yeah, changing the guard. I think with, I think with um, with teams like that, you only get a certain amount of shots at it before people. Either go stale or or stop believing. I think that's what what's happened with Leicester. Um, they've come to the end of that little cycle where they were pushing and pushing and just didn't quite break that door down. Wolves similar. Were probably slightly before Leicester if um, if the my memory serves right. But it's um it's yeah it's uh, it hasn't really worked. I think they are in transition still there, but the, the problem has seems to have come from large not really sticking to a certain thing and and being like um cutthroat in it like like you said getting rid of cody because we're going to play a back four oh crap we're going to play a back three this weekend you've you've shot yourself in the foot there because mm. probably your your biggest leader at the club wasn't cody captain as well mm. um you know you've got to, 
that's a huge thing to deal with. And then you're replacing with Nathan Collins, who it will probably go on to be a very good defender, but right now he has very little experience. And Max Kilman alongside him also has very little experience. And you've let you've let Willie Bolly go as well, who was probably past it and and not really deemed uh, good enough anymore. But also he was very experienced. So can he can he coach along a couple of uh, young centre backs? Uh, either side of him, I think probably could probably could do better than what what they've done. Dendonka's gone as well. I think he's he's quite important for for how they um, how they play with sort of the role he does of right. If anyone comes past Neves, I'm going to boot him and I'll take the yellow card if I need to, and we'll, we'll break things up like that. They're a bit easy to play against at the minute. A bit bit nice. A um, lot of flair players, but when they don't when it, when they don't show up, it's uh, it's too easy to beat them, and I'm not surprised Large has gone. To be honest, they've spent quite a lot of money, um, haven't got enough back for for it. So, you know, the axe is gonna fall, and it could have easily been David Moyes if they'd won. Yeah, <laughs> but, very much so. But I, I just never got the feeling they were even gonna get close to the win. To be honest, it was interesting to read the statement that came out from Wolves. No, because it felt like there was an element of reluctance in there to get rid of him. The chairman, I've got a bit of a statement here. He said, Bruno is an excellent coach, a hardworking and dedicated manager and a warm, wise and honest man. Hmm. I honestly have no doubts about Bruno's ability and I'm sure he will succeed elsewhere. There's a lot of words. There's clearly a bit of sentimentality there and they liked him as an individual, but it just... I guess the results just haven't been there. Just didn't work out, did it? And that's the brutal reality of football, particularly in the Premier League, that if things don't work out and, you know, is the cliche bell there on the desk? It is. It's a results <laughs> business. There we go. There's a classic. It is a results business because it's a, it's a cliche because it's true. If you don't win games, your job is going to be under threat. And mm-hmm. it doesn't matter how good a manager you are. We talk about managers having credit in the bank. Say West Ham had lost to Wolves. David Moyes, the pressure would have been cranked up another couple of notches. Yeah, And the same with Brendan Rodgers. If they lose tonight against Nottingham Forest in an East Midlands derby... Or if Forest lose, I think. Well, Steve Cooper's not a million miles away from the exit door either. So. Well, that's true. But, I mean, Lesser are on one point, etc. So, yeah. you know, if Brendan Rodgers loses tonight... Um, the difference well, between you know, West Ham but, and Leicester and Wolves, though, <laughs> is Wolves are quite happy to spend money and pay compensation. West Ham are not... Leicester City cannot. But That's kind of the differences. But we've seen this morning as well, Chris Wilder, the Middlesbrough manager, has been sacked. Yep. He used to manage Sheffield United. He's been linked with Bournemouth. Maybe he'll now be linked with Wolves. Sean Dyche is a manager who's been doing the rounds in the media recently, trying to get his profile back out there. He's possibly someone who could come in and, and take over uh, Wolves. holiday to Skegness this week was being cancelled. He's going to get his... Uh... Can you just see... I can see Sean Dyche stood on the touchline at Molyneux with an orange tie on and it's his black jacket. His you on. can yeah, see it. it. <laughs> and his goatee. It just matches, doesn't his it? colour like... coordinated. Well, We've yeah. got to get Dyche back in. But do you know what I mean? I think that it's a case of Bruno Large, a nice guy, a decent coach. Um, it just didn't really ever work out. Remember, for instance, Claude Puel at mm. Leicester and at yeah. Southampton. Same sort of thing. Maybe just didn't have the character to be a Premier League manager. Claude Puel did decent at Southampton. They sacked him. Mm. He did all right at Leicester. They sacked him. So it's one of those things where I think that, unfortunately for Bruno Large, it just hasn't worked out. I don't think there's any um, disharmony there, like behind the scenes. It's just a case of they've not won enough games and maybe they feel like now's the right time to twist. 
You mentioned a load of names there already. Rattled off a few. Sean Deitch won. I was looking at Nuno Espirito Santos as well, who's currently managing out in Saudi Arabia after it kind of fell to bits for him at Spurs. So I don't think he'd be a million miles away from a potential return. Chris Wilder now looking for a job as well. Who's your favourite to get this one? The Sporting Lisbon manager, he's been linked with, yeah. I think his favourite at the moment, actually. Yeah, he, he is, is with the yeah, bookies. Five to four with the bookies, Ruben Amarim. Um, I could actually see Ruben Amarim and Bruno Lage swapping jobs. Um, I think Amarim is he's very young. He's very young, but he's he's almost like a Portuguese Mikel Arteta in terms of like everyone rates him who's worked with him. Obviously, he's coming off the back of beating Spurs in the Champions League recently as well, which is a huge boost for him. Um, he's got a very young sport in Lisbon side um, with sort of potential to grow and, and be very, very good in the future. But if if they want to take that risk on him, it, it is a risk, I think. Um, but according the bookies rarely get these these type of things wrong, don't they? So he's five to four favourite. And then uh, Julian Lopetegui, the old Spain manager's next favourite of four to one. Um, and a couple of random Portuguese names. Pedro Martins. Could be literally anyone. No idea who that is. <laughs> uh, Andre Villas-Boas, 8-1. to wow. one. Uh, And then Deitch. Deitch's 10-1. Porto manager Sergio Conceição at 12. Carlos Carvajal, who's in charge of Braga, I think, at 14. Uh, João Moutinho, player manager, uh, at 14-1. to one. <laughs> And then Ange Postacoglu at... Um, at Celtic, Celtic who's yeah. uh, 16 at one. Um, Andre Villas-Boas is only 44 years old. I know, he's got, he seems <laughs> to have been around forever. He's been he? managing since 2009, Villas-Boas, yeah. which means his first gig was at the age of, a bit of mental arithmetic, 12. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's you should have worked the maths out before <laughs> saying the point. Yeah, should have. <laughs> yeah, hey, Cristiano Ronaldo, 50 to one shot to be Wolves manager. Why wow. did he even put that in there? Wow. Okay, so there's a lot of names being linked. Yeah. Where's your money? I mean, are you, you're going for Sporting Lisbon's yeah. dude. Yeah. What do you think? I think, I mean, the bookies are normally pretty accurate. Um, so, yeah, it looks like Ruben Amarim is going to be the the new the new Wolves manager, if you believe the, the bookmakers. And, you know, with the Portuguese element to Wolves, you'd imagine it would be another Portuguese coach. Tends to be how they go, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, there could be another manager looking for a job very soon because tonight's game between Leicester City and Nottingham Forest has been dubbed El Sakico. <laughs> sure Why is that so right. funny? I don't know, it just is, isn't it? It's like um, when we play Southampton, it's obviously the South Coast derby, but someone came up with El Clasicoast a few years ago. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's a brilliant, brilliant one. Well, That's we're gonna... the LAFC against LA Galaxy's El Trafico, which is <laughs> hilarious because <laughs> of LA traffic. <laughs> right, well, we're going to talk about that bottom of the table clash, the Foxes versus Forest next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Final bit of today's Football Social Daily. Let's wrap up the Premier League fixtures with Leicester City versus Nottingham Forest. Fair to say, Niall, I think we expected one of these teams to be near the bottom of the Premier League at this stage of the season and probably towards the end of the season. But not both of them. It's been a disaster so far for Leicester City. It really has, yeah. My predictions at the start of the season, and I'll happily hold my hands up. Some people like to sweep these under the carpet and pretend they never happened. I predicted all three promoted teams to go straight back down again. Um, and it's I not been the case so happen. far. It's, it's still not off the table, but Fulham have done all right. 
apart from getting hammered by Newcastle at the weekend. Bournemouth, Thank you for mentioning that. Thank sorry, you. thought it was worth a mention. Fulham uh, doing all right. Bournemouth, again, mid-table 13th at the moment, but you know have been beaten 9-0. Scott Parker got sacked and Gary O'Neill's kind of steadied things a little bit there. They're still looking for a new manager. But Nottingham Forest, a club who impressed so many people last season and mm. in particular manager Steve Cooper was very impressive, who actually played Leicester in the FA Cup last season and they convincingly beat them at the city ground. I think it was 3-1 or 3-0 or something. So they hammered them in the FA Cup, a team from the championship against the Leicester side who had decent players on the pitch that day and should have performed better. Um, But, you know, when you do come up to a new division and you do sign 21 new players, there is going to be an element of change. And that is exactly what we've seen. We've seen a change in division, a change in quality that naturally comes with that and a change in personnel. And I think that that's why Nottingham Forest have struggled but as far as Leicester are concerned it's been really poor really poor they've struggled to sort their personnel out on the side on that side of things we talk about forest personnel i think we should equally hope you know hone in and focus on Leicester's personnel or lack thereof mm. you know they weren't able to you know really make the signings that they wanted to because they couldn't move any players on they could only move someone like Hamza Chowdhury who turned 25 a couple of days ago doesn't get a game for Leicester in the first team. Yet he's been there for the last three seasons, not getting a game. There was a loan move to Newcastle that was proposed when Steve Bruce was there a couple of years ago. That never went through. He's now on loan at Watford, but he's still on the books of the club. Wesley Fofana, that deal was in the offing, and obviously there was a bit of discord there with the way that went down. Um, it looked like the guy they brought in, the Belgian fella, the only signing they made outfield, uh, Wout Fasch, is the only guy who... You know, he's the only guy who came in, but I think the plan was for him to come in anyway because Johnny Evans is in his mid thirties mm. now, and he's not going to be out, be around forever. So I think the plan was for for Fars to come in and replace Johnny Evans, and obviously with the view for Fafana to stay. So there's been a few miscalculations there. Maybe Kasper Schmeichel's gone. I think he's been a massive miss for them, Kasper Schmeichel, not just because of his ability in goal, and I think mm. he's probably a level above Ward, but because I think he was such a massive personality in that dressing room, and I think he was he was almost like. The second manager, wasn't he? Yeah, I think that's a fair point. Certainly with the character, I'm not convinced about the on-field stuff. Yeah, I think, I think he was kind of waning gone. a little bit there. Okay. But um, but certainly, you know, it's the same reason Manchester United kept Juan Mata in their dressing room for three years when he wasn't playing games. Because you need those experienced players mm. in your dressing room. At the moment, they've got Vardy, who just hasn't been that good this year, and Johnny Evans as their two kind of key experienced players. And probably Mark Albrighton as well. But he doesn't get a game. Um there are, there are so many problems, but there are also bright sparks for Leicester. James Madison's been very, very good. They've got some some talented players in their team. They just can't seem to knit it together at the moment. But mm. that being said, they have to win tonight. This game is massive for Leicester. They must win because if you look at the next four games they've got in the Premier League after this, they are all teams that they have the quality to beat. The first few games of the season, they've played against some tough teams and they've lost more games than they should have done. But this next run of four or five games, starting with tonight, they are far more winnable and they have to win them. Because if they don't, they're already five points adrift, by the way, at the bottom of the table. They've only got one point. Mm. Forest have got six. So, you know, they have to win tonight. So it's massive, this. And I can't wait to watch it. I think it's going to be a really good game. Forest have got four, by the way. Right, OK. Not six, but they're still five points adrift of okay. the relegation zone. So. Right. In terms of less, uh, for, for it, I mean, this is not a game that either team want to play. <laughs> when you're desperate for points, you don't <laughs> want to play in a Midlands derby. But in terms of Forest, 
Niall mentioned that they've had these new faces come in. I think it was like 22 new players or something ridiculous like that came in over the summer. Is it just a case of those players bedding in and fortunes will improve? Because I look at some of the signings they brought in, Marley, and I go, they're just not good enough. <laughs> they're just not brilliant players. And I don't think they've got the quality to stay in the Premier League. Yeah, I think I think even when they bed in, I don't I don't think they're that good. I look at the team that that Forest tend to put out each week, and I just think you've spent tw- you've got twenty two new players, and this, you're still playing like pretty poor players. Like mm. you're you're still not that good. I don't look at them and go, Christ, if they gel, they can finish in the top ten or something like that. I just you look at them and you're just not that impressed. Like if you go through the lineup, like Henderson in goal, okay, mate, he's okay. Willie Bolly, Steve Cook, and Scott McKenna. That is not a hard centre back three that will scare the fear into every anyone. Nico Williams at right back. Okay, he's average. Ryan Yates in centre midfield, championship player. Then you got Remo Frula, who's a good signing from Atlanta. Uh, Renan Lodi's obviously decent from Atletico. And then Gibbs White, forty odd million, twenty five million, whatever you want to say. He's not worth either of those fees. Brennan Johnson looks like a championship player. Uh, Awani is a handful up front, the the big lad up front. Um, then you look through the bench, like Lingard hasn't kicked on yet. Emmanuel Dennis looked decent last season, to be fair to him. Joe Worrell, Julian Bianconi, Harry Toffolo. These, these aren't players that you look at and, and are scared of. You've, it's a lot of squad players, isn't it? That's yeah. the thing. It's like you've got a lot of squad players without your solid first team spine. Yeah, there's and he doesn't know his his first team yet as well. Like that's that's where it's coming from. And I think even if he knew sort of what formation he wanted, I don't know if there's a formation that gets the best out of all the players he signed. Like you've got two attacking midfielders there in um, in Gibbs White and Lingard who play very similar positions. I would say, can you get two number tens in the same team? Um, Maybe in a sort of three four one two, which I think they have tried to play this season, but they don't have enough up front to make that work. You've got to have a lot of possession in midfield and be comfortable with the ball. I don't think they've done that enough this season, um, and they've not scored enough goals so far, and they've not defended well enough. So it's um, it has to improve. But if you've spent that much money on players, what's a few more quid on a manager? Because Steve Cooper is not. Um, this isn't the squad Steve Cooper got promoted. And mm. I think people have got to remember that. It's an entirely different squad. So even the sort of in-the-bank style, like credit, the credit in the bank that he might have, it wasn't with these players, so it's irrelevant. It's a completely new squad. So and the buck still stops at him as a manager, right? Because he's had a hand does, yeah. in the recruitment. Yep. He's the one who signs off on these things. and Maybe he was a bit, um, you know, a bit... A bit um, too open to it maybe he mm. should have kicked back a bit but Marinakis the manager is uh, sorry the owner does not seem like a type of guy who likes to be told no I don't no. want to I don't want to uh, sign this player he's thinking we had seven on loan or out of contract or whatever it may be and I'm going to sign three times as many to give us as much chance as possible let's focus on more positive things now because you mentioned the former James Madison in a poor Leicester City team he has been decent 11 goal involvements in his last 10 games he's going to be slightly frustrated isn't he because if he was in a different club and they were in a different position he'd be 
arguably a first-team regular for England right now. He'd be packing his bags for Qatar, but there's still a big question mark over him at the moment. And he's when it rolls around to January, if the situation doesn't change, he's going to be assessing his options. Yeah, maybe. He scores free kicks as well. So, you know, he's certainly one of Leicester's most creative players. The statistics prove that. What's crazy is last season he was good as well. But until this point of the season, I think late October, by late October, he hadn't got a goal or an assist for Leicester in the Premier League last season. And everyone was saying, Madison's lost it. He's gone off the boil. Any potential move for him is off the cards. And from the end of November onwards till the end of the season, he became Leicester's best player again, creatively scoring goals, creating assists. So he's a top player and you need players like that in your team. And, you know, it does feel like he's the one that's holding things together. If it wasn't for him, Leicester would probably be in an even worse position, or at least if not in points, then certainly in terms of the spirit around the place. Mm. Um, he's still in his sort of early to mid-20s. He's coming into his prime years, you would argue. I think he enjoys playing at Leicester City. I think it's a good club for him. I think it fits him. I think he enjoys the responsibility. Brendan Rodgers tends to play him most games. Um, will he be assessing his future? Yeah, I think he will. I think all the Leicester players will be thinking about it. But the, f- the first thing they should be thinking about is winning this game tonight and getting themselves back up the table. You know, it, it, that's as much of a way to raise your stock as any other. If you can pull yourself out of a hole and show that you've got the guts to do it, then that's attractive to mm. other clubs. And, you know, James Madison is someone who probably isn't expected to, to muck in and do the dirty work and stuff like that, but I'm sure he will. He's the sort of character that will. So, yeah, maybe he will be thinking about his options. There'll be other clubs that will be looking at him thinking he's a very good player. So, naturally, with that, you're going to get links. Um, at the moment, though, his focus just needs to be on helping Leicester because Leicester have given him a platform, in all fairness. They signed him from Norwich. He's done excellently there. Um, so we'll wait and see what happens with him and his future, uh, especially with the World Cup. And what's really interesting is, obviously, we, we miss a month and a bit of the season with the World Cup, and then it's the January window pretty much straight yeah. away. So um, will that change things for people? I don't know. But yeah, maybe we'll be thinking about his future, but the first thing you should be thinking about is helping Leicester get out of the trouble they're in. Any bold predictions for tonight's game then? I was about to say Derby's normally a cagey affair, completely forgetting the Manchester Derby that we've just had at the weekend, which saw nine goals. <laughs> well, because Leicester, Leicester at home, if they don't start well, it will get nasty pretty quick. Yeah. So if Leicester can perform well for the first 15 minutes, maybe get an early goal, I fancy them to win. They've conceded um, 22 this season, so you'd think they need to score at some point to have any chance of coming away with anything because yeah. they will concede. They're a better team than Forest for me. Even though they're below them in the table, I think they've got better players yeah. for all the reasons Marley's said. So I fancy a Leicester win tonight. A Leicester win. You going with that, Marley? Uh, I, I hope so, because um, I want to see Leicester get out of this and I want to see Rodgers turn it around because I, I like him. Um, but I'm I'm going to stop short of predicting a Leicester win because Forrest are a team that have a chip on the shoulders. They get up for the big games. They, they like being the underdog. They're seeing this as their... Their big um, derby, you know, the most important fixture of their their season. I think they'll be up for it, and I think it'll be two two. There we go. Bold predictions, high scoring games. Right, that is it for today's football social daily. We'll look back on Forest versus Leicester tomorrow on the podcast and review all the action from tomorrow night. Make sure you click subscribe so you never miss an episode, particularly if you're a Wolves fan, because no doubt if there is any news breaking on new managers today, we will cover it off in Football Social Daily Shots, our afternoon mini podcast to get you up to speed with everything you've missed from the day's news. Have a good one. We'll see you soon. 
daily Premier League news and views. This is Football Social Daily. 